This is the Zenovate Yourself Podcast, brought to you by Zenovate. Zenovate is the stress management platform for today's workplace. Listen in and follow along for easy ways to reduce your stress and create personal strategies to improve your emotional wellness. As you look for Zen, you're likely to find the real you again. My name is Sean Stringham, and on this episode, I will be talking with Stephen Gwynnup, the CEO of Wanderwell Consulting. We talk about some incredible insights on how individuals, organizations, and leaders can prioritize stress management and well-being, creating an optimized culture of health. If you enjoy the episode, do me a favor. Please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share the podcast with your friends. We look forward to bringing you regular episodes to enjoy. Check us out on all the social media platforms, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search Zenovate. Watch for quality content to help you and your workforce in the new normal thrive. Welcome. We are here today with Stephen Gwinnip. Stephen lives in Boulder, Colorado, where she's the CEO of Wanderwell Consulting. Wanderwell focuses on how leaders of organizations can be healthier at the end of the day than they were at the beginning of the day. She also focuses on messages leaders provide to their team about their own health and wellness and how these messages can improve or detract from productivity and the wellness of their organizations and employees. Stephen Gwinnip, welcome. I would love to know more about Wanderwell and the philosophies and pathways that led you to be the CEO of this organization. Great. Thank you, Sean. I would love to tell you about Wanderwell. Um, thank you for inviting me here, first of all. I appreciate that. Of course. Wanderwell is a company that started uh, many years ago because of my interest in both travel and wellness. I'm an exercise physiologist and I feel like wherever we wander in life, whether that's through our careers or families or the world, that it's important to do it well. And that includes a, a lot of different things. Um, interestingly enough, in the last three years though, I've shifted my focus more to, to focus more on the corporate setting. So I, I used to really get people or at least want to get people to exercise and to get to the gym and do workouts and all of those things. And um, because of the change in the research that's coming out more, uh, more recently, I'm realizing that there's a lot of low hanging fruit in the workplace. And so I shifted my consulting to a, a corporate setting um, and to be able to help people make those changes in their daily life. I think that the most important place you can have an impact on your health is actually where you spend the most of your time. And that's not usually the gym for most people. It's at work. And so that's what I help people do. Um, and then even a little further than that, the, the metamorphosis continues because we've been through this recent crisis, health crisis, and we pandemic. Have. Well, I, I didn't know that that's something that had happened. <laughs> okay. All right. Good to know. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's caused me um, to really look at what's important because so many people are struggling. There's so much stress in the atmosphere and it makes people stop and pause and say, whoa, okay, my health is way more important than what I'm, maybe the attention that I've given it. And we, we focus so much on improving the bottom line. And sometimes we do that to the detriment of our own health. And this pandemic has caused people to say, I need to take a better look at this and I need to be more strategic, more mindful. And so I'm really looking at health as your wealth, something that's just as important 
as having a really robust bank account is having a robust health account. So yeah. I'm actually kind of like Zenovate, like you guys did recently, is making a shift um, with a rebranding and the company is going to be called Ro Grow Wealthy and it's W-E-L-L-T-H-Y. So Excellent. really to, to just improve the the health bank account. Yeah. So that's kind of where I've come from and where I'm headed. Cool. Very cool. What a great idea. I mean, I love that idea in terms of the journey. We're all on this individual journey and the, the ability to wander well within that. And obviously now to be wealthy, that's it. I like the, I like the play on that word, on those words. That's great. <laughs> Tell me in terms of, you mentioned some research, you mentioned a kind of a shift. Uh, I like that idea in terms of the space we're spending most of our time, we know eight to 10 hours a day in the workplace. What kind of stress-related, mental health-related type indications are you seeing uh, in your consulting practice? How, how has the world changed as you've been having conversations with people? Well, it's interesting because um, I lived in Australia for a year and a half, and that gave me a really different perspective to be able to understand stress. Um, here in the United States, I think we are born into stress. We wake up, we grow up, we everything is like stress from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed. And I don't think we realize it. We don't recognize it in our bodies. Right. Um, being in Australia, it's a very, it's very much a no worries world. Right. And I know they say that, but they actually live that. So they mean it too. <laughs> they mean it. So when yeah. I was there and I realized that there's a just, it's, you're not in a pressure cooker there. And so when I came back to the United States and realized, oh my goodness, people are under so much stress, but they don't know it. Stress is sly, yeah. it's sneaky, and people can live under chronic stress without even knowing it because it feels so normal to them. And so that's what I realized is that if we, if we try to get people in a gym, for example, to exercise and be healthier, you're, you're adding stress on stress and you're just increasing that pressure cooker. What we actually need to do is um, I don't know. This is a, this is an analogy I like to think of is like a water heater in your house. Right. Mm -hmm. It has a pressure relief valve, and you it keeps it from exploding and shooting out of your roof if it gets too much pressure. And that's kind of what what I realized. And the research supports that. So three years ago, I started looking into that, and realized that if people can just downshift their stress, then they can actually add two to four more years to their life for all cause mortality and chronic disease trajectory. And I was like, whoa, that's really powerful. I can make a big difference there in that space um, by doing two things really, because we think about sitting at an office all day and there's the, the long bouts of sedentariness. And I don't mean like not exercising, but just not moving. Right. And then you add that to the stress and that chronic stress, the silent killer. So I, I call that a toxic cocktail mm -hmm. for disease, both of them together. And when we can take, when we can um, find strategies that are going to put people into their parasympathetic nervous system and get them to tap into that so they can lower their blood pressure, heart rate, all of those things, um, it really makes a big impact on their overall health. Um, more so than anything, even in the last 20 years of what I've done. I've done it all. I mean, I've, I've worked in cardiac rehab. I've done research for the NIH. Um, I was like, okay, well, that's too specific. 
let's go into group fitness. Yeah, that's going to get a lot of people healthy because it's really sticky and there's music right. and friendships. That didn't work either. And I was like, okay, let's go to the business of fitness. How are we going to engage more people and get more incentives? And I finally came to the realization, maybe I'm a slow learner, I don't know. But after 20 years, I'm like, I've been beating down the wrong path, actually. Let's shift and go to the workplace because you can do so much good there. Yeah. I was just going to say, you can just such a better impact on your health trajectory without making people feel guilty or like there's this whole list of things they have to do. Right. You can actually give them a break. Yeah. And it's one of the concepts you talked about in there is this idea of pressure cooker and this idea of maybe a little bit of a cultural difference between the United States and what's happening in Australia and the comparison of that. What do you feel, what, do you, what does that pressure cooker feel like? From a maybe from a physiological standpoint or from a physical standpoint with your work in the exercise world of like how can someone recognize they are under that chronic stress when they when that state never changes how can you say oh man here are the things that i should be looking for uh in terms of being able to measure or reduce that great question a lot of people don't know what to look for because they they see stress as being burnout right. or I'm done, but it starts so much sooner than that. The way to recognize stress from talking to my clients at work is they have to do an inventory of their body and become self-aware. So when they start to feel agitated or when they start to feel fidgety, even like they can't feel like they can't sit still. If you can stop and just see where your breath is coming from, is it coming from your chest and your shoulders? Are you lifting right. your shoulders and chest muscles to breathe? Or is it coming from your belly and your diaphragm? And some people I know even take their heart rate in the morning first thing when they get up. And if it's higher than usual, then they can assume that they're under stress and they need to figure right. out maybe why. Interesting. But, hmm. You know, one of the things I think is interesting is though, what do you do though? Because if you don't recognize the stress and you don't know that you're under constant pressure cooker, do you schedule it? You know, and right. I think a lot of people do really well just making it a habit. And then it's something that over time you become aware of how you feel before and then how you feel after as kind of a contrast. Right. And stress and stress management in the workplace is, is a huge topic that we need to talk about as people are working and they've had these stressors potentially of obviously everyone was sent home. And so they're either working from home now or returning back to work. How does someone in a workforce do best to manage that? And are, is there something that leaders can do to trigger that and say, that's okay, right? You, you, we need to be able to manage that. So I guess two part question, how can an employee manage that stress? And then how can a leader give permission uh, for yeah. them to manage that stress? Yeah, well, first of all, um, employees and leaders both have to realize the detriment that stress does to people. Um, it's really self-sabotaging. It sabotages everything, whether you're aware of it or not. So productivity drops, um, energy drops, creativity, the ability to have good working relationships with your coworkers and the people in the, the chain of command, all of that starts to erode if you're under stress because everybody's a little more short, a little less forgiving, a little maybe accusing, and some of those things just the culture starts to dissolve. And 
So understanding that it really is important to the company's culture and the bottom line and the health of the future of the company to get that under control. So once that people understand that that needs to happen, the next critical step, it, it really has to start with the leaders. Right. So when someone sees you, whether you speak or not, they're making assumptions about what you're telling them. We all are given these these we're broadcasting unspoken messages. Right. And um, it could be the clothes you wear, the way you move, what you choose to eat in the lunchroom, any of that stuff. You've never said anything, but everybody is still around you is still receiving that message loud and clear. And so the leadership teams in a company have to be aware of that fact and, and take um, inventory on what is the message I'm broadcasting to those that I'm leading? And is that a message of stress? Like, I don't know, um, emails really late at night, um, rushing around, stuffing food in your mouth that's not good for you, too much travel, not enough time at home, not creating boundaries, those kinds of things. Because employees notice that. Right. And even if you don't give them permission verbally, your actions are giving them permission to be like you. And they're like, oh, subconsciously, they say, this is what's expected of me too. And so when we're looking at leadership, it's an, another great statistic is that 70% of a workplace culture originates with the leader. That's, that's a big number. It kind of can weigh heavy on the shoulders, understanding that that's a responsibility. Um, I really like the quote by Peter Parker's Uncle Ben. <laughs> Do you know it? I do know it. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm not going to steal your thunder, though. <laughs> <laughs> With great power comes great responsibility. And that's so true. So a lot of this stress and the culture change that needs to happen in corporations has to originate with the leaders. Right. So we recognize that companies and workers are in stress. And a lot of companies are in survival, right? I mean, they are mm -hmm. simply just trying to make sure that they can remain relevant in, in this new world that's coming and evolving. What, what are a few key suggestions that we can give those leaders to say, you still got to take care of your employees, right? You still have to be able to recognize this. And in terms of that 70% of culture being driven by the leadership, what are, what are just one or two or three things that they can specifically do to help drive that in a positive way? Okay, well, I have two ideas on that as you were talking, <clears throat> but I want to take just one step backwards and, sure. and give you two more stats. Okay, statistics. great. I love stats. Um, the first one is that 73% of executives, leaders, are sedentary. The second one is that leadership, people in leadership positions have 10 times the stress than other people in the organization. Hmm. So if your people are stressed, that's one thing, but the chances are that the leadership team needs to hear the message just as much as right. the people and the employees do. Right. So it really has to start with them first, getting their own stress under control. And, and then that kind of filters organically through the rest of the company. And there are two ways really that I think it goes really well. One is to have a physical space in the corporation. So this is for the people that are working in a head office or something where they're not at right. home and having a space that, I mean, you can call it a wellness room, a rejuvenation room, 
uh, take 10 room, whatever you want to call it, but it's a space where people can go and do what they need to do, whether that's breathing, meditation, um, you know, take a yoga class, get a massage, you know, whatever that might be is really important that it's not seen as taboo. It's seen right. as something that's benefiting the company by me taking time to do this. And the leader has to show that activity and actually do it. And that reminds me, before I go to the second one, it reminds me of a, a company that I work with. The CEO actually communicates on a very regular basis that I expect that everybody in this office, there's about 40 people in this particular office, um, I expect that everyone will take advantage of our massage chairs and our relax relaxation rooms mm -hmm. um, every day for at least 15 minutes. Wow. And that's set as an expectation. Right. So then when you're just having conversations around the water cooler, oh yeah, did you, did you do that? Yeah, I did it today. And then you're kind of patted on the back because you, you achieved right. that expectation as opposed to it's there, but if you use it, you're going to be looked down upon. Because right. I think there's a fear of that. Right. So that's one thing. The second thing is I think there needs to be an on-demand solution. So something where people can virtually access the services that they need wherever they are. I know we're not traveling a lot right now, but that is a big factor when people are away from the office traveling is being able to, to manage their stress um, with a virtual online program. You know, that's why I love so much what Zenovate does. I love a lot of the progress that that burn along has made because they're they're um, they're giving access to right. classes and then boosting the stress component because that's so important right now right now um, but being able to not only have that for the employee but to extend it to their families right and let them do it together that's going to be another type of stress reliever so those two things I think are really important. Well, and, and obviously, I mean, shameless plug here is that's exactly what Zenovate's trying to do is bring that, you know, virtual massage, virtual stress management tools out there. And we're partners with Burn Along. We have content on Burn Along. And that's a great organization as well in terms of being able to provide those virtual solutions. I think we're going to be in a new world and that a lot of fitness is not going to happen in gyms. We're going to have to figure out how to, how to, how to manage those different individual solutions. So Great points. How can employee base encourage an executive to manage that? Right. I think can it go? Can it go both directions? Can it go? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's one a of the questions. Concept. Right. Yeah. I, I, I was I, I've seen that before in other organizations where it's like the organization itself is wants to be wants to be healthy, wants to value that, but maybe the, they can see that the executive's not you know, they're not living that and they're putting themselves at risk. How can it reverse osmosis back the other direction? That's awesome. Well, I'm thinking of one example of a company I worked with and the employees saw the need mm -hmm. and they were stressed, but the management was just kind of pushing more work down and, you know, just, just do better, just work harder. What, no, we don't have budget for whatever that my XYZ program that they were trying to get in there to help them with their stress levels. So what they did, I mean, you really can't argue with science. So what they did is um, I gave them a, the summary abstract of a research study that was done up in Chicago with oncology nurses. And those are very stressed positions yeah, to work in cancer sure. centers. They're on their feet all the time. They're very, very stressed and dealing with, with negative situations. 
Um, and that this particular study was done with massage and the before and after looking at the actual physiology that was happening after mm -hmm. a 15 minute session to be able to tap into that parasympathetic nervous system. And we didn't really go over what that is. It's more of the rest and digest, right. you know, the relaxation and recovery side of our nervous system, which we need to tap into every day. And there was statistical significance after each session in a drop in blood pressure, mm. heart rate, and perceived stress. Right. And it's in black and white. It's a peer-reviewed study. And sometimes just taking that information and saying, hey, here's some solutions for us because I know that we've got a lot going on right now. And this is, this is something that I think we can see some immediate benefits from. Very cool. Great idea. Um, let's, let's shift here a little bit. Let's talk about culture. We've referenced it a couple of times. What does, what does a healthy kind of mixed on-site virtual culture look like? Do we know the answer to that question? Or are we still trying to figure that out? I'm wondering, in a culture that values stress management, what are some of the key things that you see people could recognize where they would say, oh, yeah, this, this looks like something that's positive, someplace that I'd like to work uh, and could be an attract, it's something that employers can use to attract employees into their organization? Well, it's, I think it's a, an evolving uh, situation because this is, we've had, quote, corporate wellness for a really long time. Right. But it's been kind of relegated to ticking off certain things to get some sort of a incentive at the yep. end, like a monetary incentive or yep. discount of some sort. Um, but it really hasn't done very well at making it into the culture of the company. So I think that I don't know that we know the answer for sure of how these two are going to work together. Yeah. But I think that we're going in the right direction for the first time. I right. really do. I think that finally it's a, what a lot of us have been preaching for a long time and teaching about for a long time has come to a head. And we realize that there's not only an opportunity, but a responsibility to take care of people in this way. Right. And you think of people like HR directors who are maybe trying to keep good talent or recruit good talent. This is a huge selling opportunity for them to say, Hey, we care about you. Right. This is really important. Um, we know, you know, especially cause a lot of people, one of the number one reasons that people leave companies is because of burnout. And so why are they going to step into another situation to have that same thing in two or three years come about? So being able to be preemptive about that and talk to a prospective employee and say, we know that, you know, we're a fast paced company. We're doing some great things here, but we, we, we also know that if you, if we give you a little bit of downtime and some support to be able to tap into your, your correct nervous system for the activity, right. that you're going to be able to do more than you, you than you've done before. Right. And I, I, I like it, think of it like a, almost like a stair step that levels off. So you can work hard and then you can recover. And because you've recovered, then you, you can go, go again. again. Yeah. And it's like, it's just this plateau, stair step plateau all the time. If you just keep work, 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 and keep working harder, eventually you just have nothing to give. Right. And you have to go downhill. It's the law of diminishing returns, right? I mean, you, exactly. you, can, you, you continue to work harder 
for less gain as opposed to an interval approach where you build strength and recover and then continue to build at that point as well and move forward. So mm-hmm. I, would, I would love to hear your perspective from a consulting standpoint about an organization that you've worked with that has gone from, an, an, I don't want to say toxic culture because I'm not sure that's ha- like a negative a negative kind of culture where you've worked in some of these principles and then had that transition come out the other side where um, an organization might have been successful in making that kind of wellness transition or well-being transition. Sure. Yeah. Well, immediately the one that comes to my mind is actually here in Denver and it's a hospital system that has lots of doctors and nurses and administrators they were really dealing with a lot of burnout mm-hmm. and a lot of unhealthy people. You know, the temptation is to go in and say, oh, well, let's clean up your diet. Let's get you moving. But they were so burned out that two of the people that I actually spoke to that were part of the employee, I think it was one of them was a nurse administrator and another one was an actual nurse. And they were both thinking about quitting. They're right. like, I'm just so done. I don't even know where to start or what to do. I can barely get myself here every day. And so they brought in a special space, created a space that was a wellness space and gave opportunity for things like meditation, essential oils, yoga, massage. What is so cool is that when the the person was looking to make a change, all they had to say at the hospital was book a space in this relaxation room and just take some time. Don't do anything else. You don't have to have a list of all these things to do. Give yourself some margin and some right. space. And so that's where they started. And they just start, and that, that room was booked um, constantly, 24 hours a day, so much so that we had to actually take it off of the schedule for about three hours every day just for cleaning and yeah. powering <laughs> stuff off and that kind of thing because it was always booked. And it was so successful that the Denver, a Denver news station came in and did a story on them because not only did those two people not quit, they stayed, but they started to implement one more good thing. And then just one more good thing. It was almost like it just all began with the relaxation and the de-stressing to give them space. And then they could start to put some of those things on their plate. One woman, she didn't even go set out to lose weight. And she ended up losing over a hundred pounds oh my goodness. within that first year. Wow. And things like that, you just, you don't start with the best, like the perfect plan to get healthy. You just start with giving yourself a break. Well, and that, and that was actually going to be my next question that you kind of led right into it. How, how does an individual, whether they be an employee, an employer, a leader, an executive, how does someone say, I can recognize that I'm stressed, right? I can, okay, I can feel that my shoulders are on fire. I can't, I can't stand up without my back hurting, all of those different elements. What is the first step that they as an individual can do to start down this pathway? Because for a lot of people, they can think, I've never, I've, I've never had a massage before. I've never done virtual guided massage before. I've never done meditation before. I don't know what that looks like. What, what, what advice would you give to individuals on how to approach that element of their lifestyle if it's new for them? Yeah, it, it can be new. It can be uncomfortable. Um, just sitting there breathing or, or, or being mindful of your situation can feel awkward at first because you're so used to being busy and doing 
that just that space and time with yourself can feel a little bit strange or uncomfortable. But I think that's where it's important. It kind of depends on your personality. Um, If you feel like a DIYer and you want to, you know, kind of jump in there yourself, then it's super easy to get started with box breathing. That's look it up. It's something where you can, that's really quick within four breaths, which is about 16 seconds. A cycle is about 16 seconds. Then you're going to actually, your heart rate's going to start to drop and you're going to start to feel more calm. Another thing is I just tell people, try to just move your breath, move it from your chest to your belly so that put a hand on your chest and a hand on your belly and see if you can get the hand on your belly to move. Right. and get the one on the top to hold still. Those are easy places to start. I'm a huge, huge fan of legs up the wall. Body mm. position has a huge impact on being able to tap into your parasympathetic nervous system. And even head position, breath, head position, body position, and then other senses like music or smell, whatever those things that kind of trigger that relaxation for you. But if you lay on the floor and put your feet up a wall, so your body is kind of shaped like an L, your feet are pointing to the ceiling, and you just lay there for five minutes and try to relax and breathe, that's going to be a game changer for a lot of people. Now, you can then take it a next step further and get into some guided meditations or some breathing practices where you actually have someone leading you through that, which is, again, where Zenovate comes in handy because you can have some help and some guidance to get through that. Yeah. And you can take it from as simple as that all the way up to hands-on touch massage, which is a little bit tricky right now, but I mean, it won't be forever right. um, into, you know, we, we put the mechanical massage chairs in Google all the time because they just want to go grab 10 minutes and feel better. So you can do more of a high-end experience like that where you're getting compression. Compression is great for circulation and, and getting your body to, to get in a recovery mode and move that lymphatic fluid. So what I like to do is try to layer as many of those things on as possible. So if you can only do one, try to breathe. Yeah. You can do two, breathe with your feet up the wall. If right. you can do more, like... Do as much as you can, as often as you can. And for someone who, uh, literally, I had a conversation with a gentleman today. Who said, "I've never had a massage. I don't know what it feels like." You know, and it's like, hmm, we we can change that. I know I know a guy who can help you take care of that. <laughs> uh, but then, but then I went on to say, like, having that relaxation response might be a new thing for people. Like, I mean, I'm just trying to put together some conversations that I've had throughout the last couple of days in terms of use. Like, we wake up stressed. We wake up with this list. So I, I, this question just came to me, but what does it feel like to feel relaxed and to have that parasympathetic response? I think that people... So I'm going to go back to my days as a, as a personal trainer. Years ago, long Years time ago. ago. Here we go, back in time. Back in time when I would help people stretch and I would say, let me hold your leg. Right. I'll hold it for you. But they're holding it and their muscles are super tense. I'm like, no, let's just relax your muscle and trust. Let me hold that. And they, it, they, they really couldn't, it took time to think about it. And there are actually neuromuscular pathways that go from the brain to the musculature And sometimes you have to tell them to turn on, to lift a weight or to do something. Right. 
but sometimes you have to tell them to turn off because they're in a constant state of contraction. And when you can, when you lay there, let's say you've got, you're laying there with feet up the wall, listening to a meditation, you have to keep going through the body and seeing if it's tight and then trying to, to melt into the floor. And then when you can feel the difference between the two, it's such a sensation of release, of freedom, build the rest of your day from that point forward. It's like a, it, it feels to me like a leveling, right. like a coming back to the basics again. And a lot of people don't understand that because they've never gone there before. Right. But with practice, you get a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper, and then you're able to see that contrast. And then why is that good for you? If you continue to push and oh, go yeah, yeah. up without yep. relaxing, you're not going to be able to keep going. We're here for the long game, right? Yep. We're not, I mean, this isn't a sprint. This life is not a sprint. It's the long game. So um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People begin with the end in mind, thinking about your future self and who you want to be and how you want to be able to move and interact with people in your world means you should really start doing it now. Yeah. And that's going to help protect you in the future. But not only that, Google tells me when the pe- their employees get out of their chair, they're a better employee. Right. You're yeah. going to have better opportunities for job promotions, for, for mm. getting a promotion, for um, being a better team member, for being a better leader, all of those things. I mean, if you want to think intrinsically versus extrinsically, depends on how you're motivated. There's, there's so many benefits to each. Right. One, I guess one of the final questions here as we start to wrap up maybe a little bit, are you seeing in your consulting practice, are you seeing somewhat of a survivor's guilt for those employees that are out there that might continue to be employed, but they just feel like they have to keep that nose to the grindstone to be able to stay relevant because maybe they've had some people around them that are furloughed um, or have been released or any of those kinds of things. And the, the psychology of that is pretty fascinating to me and interesting to me. How can leaders support employees, but employees also be aware? Because that's a mindset, right? That's a shift of like, I still have to take care of myself, even though the world is changing around me. Have you seen that? And how can that interface back and forth between the employee and the employer be made to be a positive thing for those individuals? Yes, I actually have seen that. I've heard even some conversations around it where let's say half a dozen people were furloughed and the people Mm -hmm. who are left were asked to work really hard so that we can bring the other people back. Right. And of course you want to do that, right? So you're like, okay, nose to the grindstone. Let's work, work, work. Let's really get, you know, let's up our our, um, effort level here and really make things happen. It's, it's that sprint mentality. That's, yeah. This is the one case where it actually is a sprint because there's a, there is an end of the runway and it might be that funds run out or sales stop coming in or whatever it is for that particular company and they're trying to get enough momentum to get up and flying again. So I get it that there's a survivor's guilt, that there's like, I'm left and I don't want to lose my job. There's no way I'm going to take a chance to go lay on the floor for 15 minutes or- right get a massage or meditate. I mean, I look like I'm not doing anything, but that's where you have to reframe it and 
claim that and give yourself that permission that this is what's necessary for you to be the best employee right. that you can be. That's a great point. I love that. Excellent. I'm wondering if you have any other kind of key insights that we can share with leaders out there or uh, with individuals on how to best manage the stress. Well, um, I think probably this is just something on the top of my mind because it's coming up in two weeks. If we think about who some of our most important employees or workers are right now, it's the mm -hmm. healthcare people, yeah. right? Because they're out there saving lives and protecting people from a virus or a bad outcome at a riot or whatever might be happening. Right. And um, this, this event that I'm hosting in two weeks is called self care for healthcare because they have to think of, think of themselves. If they don't, if they're not operating at a hundred percent, then someone else is going to suffer because of that. Right. And the same thing I think is very true in the business world in the corporate setting is if you're not operating at a hundred percent there, something's got to give and it's not going to be as successful. So that that's, we can take, we can take a cue from our healthcare workers and say, okay, it's okay. They're getting massages. They're getting, right. they're getting time um, to decompress or what, whatever that is that they might need, even though there are waiting rooms full of people and people who need them right now, it's in, if they're, if they're able to do that, we can do that too. It's, it's right. not going to be that pressing. That yeah. That, what, what an incredible point, right? I mean, if you're thinking about that, if this high stress of a self of a healthcare worker and they are in a situation where they're taking 15 minutes for themselves, right? That email can probably wait 15 minutes too, is my guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and the other thing I want to say is as individuals and particularly as leaders, we have a choice. We have a choice every single day, what we're going to broadcast. Is it going to be a positive message or a negative message? And so I really think that almost in everything in life, but in particularly that with this, the, the place to start is with the person in the mirror. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we've had some great conversation about employee engagement, about culture, about leadership, about how individuals can uh, kind of frame their own behavior for self-care. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. And, and um, just to, to end on a good note, think of yourself as Superman. With great power comes great responsibility, and we all have our part to play. But the, th the, the exciting news is that we don't have to do more, we have to do less. Right. That is great and, news. And we can all do that. And I love closing with superhero references, right? I mean, two, <laughs> two in one podcast, that's a win in my book. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you, Sean. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Stephen Gwynup for joining us today. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Zenovate Yourself. Always remember, stay zen and innovate for yourself. Zenovate yourself. Until next time, peace.